we're going to look at a larger picture. We're going to look at a larger picture rather than um, in detail. Any part of the sermon I can spend hours in and a series in discussing. But I want you to look at the larger picture because I want to make a point. And if you've heard me the last couple of weeks, I'm hoping you're getting what the point is right now. Uh, Catherine Susan uh, Genovese, I don't know if you know who she is or not. She is better known um, by Kitty uh, Genovese. Um, uh, does anybody hear who she is? Yeah? Okay, you've heard who she is. Let me tell you what happens. Kitty Genovese, in the middle of the projects in Queens, New York, in the middle of the night in 1964, she found herself being stabbed, and we have a lot of children here today, and the gentleman forcefully got to know her, biblically speaking, over and over. Stabbed and known over and over. And so what happens is that when this period happened in 1964, it baffled people because 28 people witnessed this event. Have you ever looked outside the window when it's dark outside and the lights are on in the house and you kind of see your reflection so you turn off the lights and you can see clearer? People literally turned off, the, turned off the lights, moved up to the window and observed as this happened. The individual who did these things with her left, came back, did it again. Left and came back and did that again. And no one helped this lady. 28 people witnessed this event. For over 30 minutes, she suffered over and over. And can you lower the mic just a little bit, brother? Okay. Over and over. And so, not so much. Okay. Over and over. And so what ends up happening is that it wasn't until 30 minutes later that finally someone called the police after calling her friend first. Hey, friend, you will not believe what is happening right now. I am seeing this. What should I do? Call the cops. Oh, okay. Let me go right ahead and call the cops now. Hang up the phone. And then she called the cops. And so this is what happened. And this baffled people because how can something like this happen? Now, I get it. While the assailant is doing whatever he needs to, even though there were vulnerable moments for the assailant, some people are saying, I would have grabbed a pan or a pot or, 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 a pot or something and just whack him in the side of the head. Or maybe once he left, I would come in and, and help bring her into safety, something. But no one did anything. So they did an experiment at a local university. And again, if you want more details on this, look it up, check it out for yourself. I'm trying to give you an outline or the larger picture today. But what happens, they did an experiment. They brought college students into a room to do surveys for money. And so as they brought them in to do the surveys for money, um, what they brought, they brought seven students in and an eighth person, he was an actor. And what they did, as they're doing out, doing surveys, suddenly the actor begins to pretend like he's choking. <coughs> shake a little bit, throw himself on the floor, shake a little bit more. And as they were timing this and observing the reaction, it took them over a minute to get up and do something about it. Do you know how long a minute is choking and you're staring at my face? I mean, you have to understand that time is relative. Okay, if I give you a minute to eat a meal, that's not enough time. But if I try to hold you under the water, a minute seems like an eternity. When you're choking, that seemed like forever. And it was like a minute and like 18 seconds before they got up and did anything about it. They did the experiment one more time. They brought in this time three people. 
They brought in the actor, and the actor did his thing, started choking again, shaking the leg a little bit, throwing himself on the floor. And it took them this time about 20 seconds before they got up and did anything about him. They did it one more time. They brought a person in and the actor. The actor did his thing, started shaking, threw himself on the floor. It was a couple of seconds before the person got up and did anything about it. So what they concluded, or their hypothesis was, and what they call this, was the... Um, the bystander effect or the Genovese syndrome. The response is that the more people that are around, the less responsible we feel. And so if we got four people in a room and a victim, each one of them feels 25% responsible. If it's only two in the room and a victim, 50-50. If it's just you and the victim, it's all on you. But the problem is that if not you, then who? In our churches, we struggle. I am exhausted of that weird 80-20 rule. I mean, for fellowship meal, I can't even get people to join in and bring plates. Imagine going out there, out of their comfort zone, and share the gospel message with people. Come on now, you can't say amen. Say ouch. I mean, we cannot have this syndrome be the thing that we are struggling with, expecting that other people are going to do it all. We can't grasp it all. Every individual needs to be active. If you really believe that we're living in the year 119, does anybody know what that's reference to? Remember how many years before the flood actually came? 120 years. I believe we're right there just before the 120th year. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that God is coming very soon, and yet we are just relaxing. Just enjoying life like there is no issues whatsoever. But if not you, then who? I have preached over a year and a half in this church. And almost every other message is to try to encourage you to work, to carry out the task, to share in the work. I pray that this is not a syndrome that we are suffering from here at Tallahassee First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Because if that is the case then what about out those out there who are suffering? Remember last week's sermon? Those who are scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Let us go to Matthew as we hear. This is one of the prophecies of Jesus. You know, many people don't often refer to Jesus as a prophet, but, but, but he, he was prophesying. When the disciples asked him, how is the end times going to be? Here in Matthew 24, he's talking a little bit about it. Matthew 24, 36 through 39, it says, But of that day... And our, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. What day is he talking about? His coming, right? His return. Absolutely. Next verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son be. So even though not even the angels know, he's giving you some insight. He's saying, look, you know, no one knows, not even the angels, but my father. However, keep in mind that just as it was in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. He continues on in verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, what were they doing? They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Does it sound a lot like the times we're living in? Are we taking such a sacred institution and making a game out of it? My wife and I were discussing how one of her family members is working on marriage number nine. Pray, pray, pray for our families, yeah. 
Keep us in prayer. And I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure you all have family members as well. And if you don't, then you are that family member. But understand, we have to keep that in prayer. We, you know, because we are seeing that it's just like nothing. Just living life like if it were nothing. Verse 39. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. People distracted all throughout, not really realizing how urgent and how prominent it is to understand that God is really coming soon. Christ is coming. So, when Jesus spoke, you know, when you, when you, when you read Bible prophecy and they make reference to something, you need to go back and look at that. Right here is referring to the times of Noah. We need to look at the times of Noah so that we can understand what was happening in the times of Noah. Genesis 6.1, it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. Verse 2, That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So here now you were seeing, you know, when I was growing up in the church, they used to teach us, you know, Back in the day, this was back when racism existed back in the day. I'm sure we don't have racism now. But, you know, uh, they, they used to teach us back in the day that, that unequally yoke had to do with color of skin. It has to do with whom do you worship. You, you know, it's difficult to go out and marry someone who worships a different God and thinking you're going to convert them. Didn't King Solomon make a mistake doing that? And many others through the Bible. This is where we get a little bit into trouble. But during the times of Noah, you know, creation just happened like three chapters earlier for men or something like that or maybe four. And, and, and so what happens is that, you know, it happened a couple of chapters before, but now they were growing, they were expanding, and they were intermingling. Those who were of the descendants of Cain and those who were the descendants of Seth and those who worshiped God and those who didn't, they started intermingling and things got really bad. Look at verse 5. And it says, And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you see this description? I struggle with this because let me tell you this. I think evil from time to time. I really do. Somebody cuts me off and for a couple of seconds, ooh, you and I didn't believe the, mind, the thoughts that came to my mind. But to be thinking evil continually? Are we seeing that now in the world that we're living in? Hurricane Katrina, we were spared. I don't know what happened there. Let's try that again. There it is. Hurricane Katrina, we saw that there. I mean, uh, Hurricane Irma, sorry. Hurricane Irma. We saw that there. And during the week, while people are rolling to hide, salesmen have to put on their doors. Every valuable, everything of value has been removed from the store. Please do not break the windows. And then you have, you know, so they board up the windows and then they put a sign. Please don't steal from us. We took the valuable things. You got people over in Foot Locker doing certain things. Simon's Warehouse. You got one of the markets there. People are just going in and out, running out with stuff and looting. And then to top it off, in Jacksonville, someone decided to steal a light pole, a 40-foot light pole in, in the little Kia Sorento, riding down the highway, and the police stop him and say, this is weird, what are you doing? And arrested two young men that you see right there behind the car. Are we seeing, and this is just the last couple of days, do you see how corrupt the world is becoming and has become. Let me tell you this. Growing up in Puerto Rico, 
I would leave when I would go to my grandma's house during, during summer break and winter breaks. We'd stay at my grandma's. And I would leave early in the morning and I won't come back until it's dark. And there was no street lights because it's country, you know, in the city. My mom said, come with the lights turned on. But there was no lights. So I would just come when it's dark, make my way back. And there was no issues, no worries, not a care in the world. Do you know that Florida, especially in Jacksonville and the Tampa Bay area, we have the largest numbers of human trafficking across the U.S.? We are huge. We are selling boys and girls just because. To, so that they could be knowing slaves for, for everybody. Do you understand that? And yet we are relaxing here and being lackadacious in this matter. As though we're not recognizing that Christ is truly coming soon. And the world is already nearing the times of Noah. Do you understand? Do you see? Verse 6 continues. And the Lord was sorry that he had made men on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. He was troubled because all the men there, everyone, was thinking evil continually. Now, praise God that even in the midst of ugliness, he has a people. In the Bible, they, they, sometimes the verses call them a remnant. He has a group of people. And verse 9 tells us a little bit about the remnant of the time, Noah himself. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was what? A righteous man. Not only was he righteous, what was he? Blameless among the people of his time. Even though things were ugly and they were thinking evil continually, Noah was blameless and he was righteous. But, but what was the other description of him? And he did what? Walk faithfully with God. There was something unique. Now, now the, was Noah perfect? What was a, a complete saint? What made him blameless and righteous is that he walked faithfully with God. Understand that the question in Revelation is, whom do you worship? Plain and simple, he worshiped God. He was a God-fearing man, and he walked faithfully with him. Verse 11 uh, gives a little bit more description, just in case it wasn't clear in verse 5. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. We're familiar with the story. God approached Noah and says, hey, there's a flood coming. I need you to build me an ark. Understand this is happening because of the wickedness of man. This needs to take place. And so he has a discussion. And for the next 120 years, Noah was building and preaching and building and preaching and building and preaching and building and preaching, letting people know the message of the time. The flood is coming. The flood is coming. The flood is coming. And out of the entire world... Eight people were the ones that gladly entered the ark. And I don't know if you know how it took place, but I want you to imagine this. In Veggie Tales, when they tell the story, they have people like mocking Noah and stuff like that. I can picture that. Ellen White talks a little bit about that as well. But look at verse 16. Look what happens now when it's all said and done in Genesis 7:16. So those that enter, male and female of all flesh, because it wasn't only humans, but also all of the animals, went in as God had commanded. And the Lord shut him in. This is crucial. Does anybody know how long it happened between the time that the Lord closed the doors and the time that it began to rain? Seven days. Could you imagine you are in there, doors closed, and that's it? You're either in or you're out. And then suddenly... For the first time ever, 
Water begins to fall from the sky. Rather than water rising from the ground or dew taking place, actual water from the sky. Could you imagine? I don't know if it's a flash flood or not, but can you picture the people outside? The water's rising. The water's rising. They get to the mountain. They get on top of the rock. They get on top of the tree, and the water's still rising. Could you picture that? But at this moment, that was it. Once the Lord shut him in, this was it. For 120 years, both the building and the preaching took place. But now the time was up. And I'm not saying this to scare the Hades out of you like they used to try to do for me when I was growing up. But I want you to understand. I want you to understand that we are at the present moment, I believe, in the year 119. Just close to the year 120 because when Jesus said that it was just as in the days of Noah on Matthew 24, 37, I am seeing that right now. I am afraid for my children. I am afraid for my kids. We went to Mississippi. We have a mobile home that we live in. We got 80-foot pine trees. And so when we saw that we were going to get a direct hit Saturday night at 3 o'clock in the morning Sunday, my wife and I left. And then Monday we heard that it went inland and it got really weak and we got nothing. We just got our back scratched a little bit by, by the hurricane. Praise God for that, that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But then immediately said to my wife, honey, let's pack up and go home. I know we were planning to stay till Thursday, but let's go back home because my other fear was seeing people who left their homes being looted. Now, I live in a nice neighborhood. I'm, I wasn't too, too worried, but I was still worried. Because of what I was seeing throughout the media of things that people were doing all around. So understand what that is. Look at the news and you're able to see that. Now in the times of Noah, we saw the urgency. He had a message that the flood was coming. In our time now, who's coming? Okay, not all at once now. Who? Who's coming? Do you understand that? And we have a message beforehand to deliver. We have a work to do. Now, we're going to look at this message right here in three parts, but we're going to look at it just as an outline. I want to encourage you to go back and study it for yourself. Here you have Revelation 14.1. And it says, And then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's names written on their foreheads. Now, this is very important here. Some other day, I'll talk to you more about the 144,000. We, this is not the first time we see them. We see them in, in Revelation chapter 7. And, and the written on their foreheads is crucial because you see, there's, there's something that's going to happen. Some chaos that's going to take place. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on to the four winds. Don't destroy anything yet because I got to seal my people. Okay, and John says, I heard the number and it was 144,000. Then two verses later, it says, I turned and I saw a great multitude that no one can count. And that's very important. If you were here for the Revelation series, you notice to recognize, you learn to recognize prophetic language. When John heard what sounded like a roaring lion, he turned, he saw the Lamb of God. When John heard what sounded like thunder, he turned and saw the Son of Man. When John heard the 144, he turned and saw a great multitude. you got to recognize the language, a distinction between what he heard and what he had seen. Now, some people get all caught up, whether it's a literal number or a prophetic number, based on the whole book of Revelation. It is clearly that it is a prophetic number. But even if you believe that it's literal, I don't care. Isn't that when the saints go marching in song, all I want is to be in the number? 
So whether you think it's literal or, or, or not, whether or not, whether or not you have a, 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 perf, a, a professional understanding, an expert understanding of prophecy and how it functions between what I heard and what I saw, it doesn't matter. I want to be in the number. I want to be. And he or them that have written in their foreheads his name because they have chosen God. Understand that the seal of God simply means choose him and worship him. Not the point of today's message. Some other day we could do a whole sermon on this and do a whole exegesis on this. But for right now, let's keep moving on. Verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of a harpist playing their harps. Verse 3. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were what? Who were redeemed from the earth. I yearn to sing this song. But notice here, who were redeemed. When you are redeemed, you can't redeem yourself. We learned that from the Old Testament. Someone, a kindred, has to redeem you. Let us go ahead and keep reading. Verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with woman, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever it goes. What was it that Noah did faithfully with God? He what? He walked with God. And these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever it goes. These were what? Redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And so here's given a criteria of a group of people. And look how it continues. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are what? Without fault before the throne of God. Wasn't Noah blameless? These people are without fault. And it is not that they were perfect, but because they were redeemed, because they embraced the Redeemer, because they accepted that great gift of salvation, because they were willing to walk with God, because they were willing to follow the Lamb wherever it went. Doesn't matter where it went. See, some of us are great at following the Lamb to church, but we struggle following the Lamb outside of church to bring the gospel message to others. Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. Verse 7. Then I saw, this is what we call in good old Adventist church, the three angels message. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. And just in case you were not sure who dwells on the earth, it defines it for you. To every nation, not just the ones that I like, not just the ones that cook good, the ones, you know, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Isaiah 6.8 from last week. Who will go before us? You guys remember that? Verse 7. And saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Not will come, not is coming, but has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. Verse 8, and another angel follows saying, Babylon is falling, is falling, the great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Verse 9, verse 9, there it is. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receive his mark on his forehead or on his hand, 
He himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image and whoever received the mark of his name. Now, that, is, that was all a mouthful, and I know that I just kind of read through that briefly. Someday we'll do a message specifically just on, on each one of those angels, but I want you to look at the larger picture. It is becoming like the days of Noah. In some parts of the world, it's already there. Number two, Christ is coming as we see. Number three, there is a message, there's a warning, there's a promise. There's so many wonderful things here. There is a remnant, there is a group of people that get to sing a new song, the song of the redeemed. There is a group of people that is blameless before the sight of God. These are the ones that follow the Lamb wherever it goes. But there's also a message that needs to be told. In the days of Noah, we said the flood was coming, but now, what is happening? And so understand that here are three messages we will look at at a moment. Now, before torment and all of that stuff, I do want to make it clear, and some other day we'll talk about the seal of God and the mark of the beast, but when it comes to the mark of the beast, this mark of his name and everything else that we read, even not, he, not only here but also in the previous verse right there, his mark on their foreheads and on his hand. Regardless of who you think that the beast is, and however you want to work that out, Understand the following, okay? Number one, it is not, I need to emphasize, it is not a physical object. There's a video that went viral this week about this technical company that is inserting a chip in all of its employees. They can put it in there, and that's how they lock and unlock doors, and that's how they could pay for stuff in the cafeteria, etc., and the vending machines. And a caption that says, the mark of the beast, 666, is not going to be something physical. Understand, if I work for the devil and somebody else work for the devil, we could pin down anybody here and forcibly give you the mark of the beast. It would never be something that can be forced upon you because it is choice. You either choose to follow the lamb or not. And when you don't choose to follow the lamb, you're automatically by default choosing the beast. And you will drink of the wine of her fornication. You will do that. Because you're not choosing God. But it will never be a tattoo or a computer chip or anything like that. Because otherwise, us bad people will force it on you innocent people. And we won. Do you understand that? It is choice. No one can take that from you. No matter what. Even when you're being stoned like Stephen, you can look into the heavens and feel the freedom and the joy that it is for choosing to follow the Lamb wherever it goes. So please keep that in mind. Now... Even though it's giving us this message, it doesn't end there. I love how it ends here in, chapter, in verse 12 of chapter 14. Because it gives us, yeah, it starts with a promise, it ends with a promise, or with a criteria, or with a description. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now this is all very unique and again, not, not to get into too much detail, here, this is something that is very unique because here is the patience of the saints. They keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Now notice the very first message. Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. You know in the Bible when Christ comes, He says that I come and my reward is with me. 
How can he give a reward unless he has already judged who is in the ark or who is out of the ark? Who is going to heaven and who is not? We believe wholeheartedly that the judgment is happening right now. We believe wholeheartedly that the judgment started some time back. Some other day we could do a study on the judgment. By the way, if you come to the Revelation series, you'll get to hear all of this in detail. You're going to get like seven weeks worth of, of Revelation and Daniel in Crawfordville, 7 p.m. starting in October. Anyhow, with that being said, now that I threw, the, threw that in there and plugged that in, notice something else here. Fear God, give glory to him. Our judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. You've seen this verbiage in the fourth commandment in Exodus making reference to the creator because you see when it says fear god there's other wannabes out there other fake gods out there just in case you weren't sure worship him who created and there's a clarity there pointing out creation and then it's interesting to see that when it concludes in verse 12 it says there here are the patience of the saints here are those that keep the commandments of god and have the faith of jesus there's a link there if you don't see it check it out more in depth prayerfully because it is there message number two babylon is falling there was a physical Babylon this is referring to spiritual Babylon but regardless of your understanding of Babylon even if you're not an expert understand that this message is saying the victory is already there Christ is saying I've already won so just come out you are in the losing side come out of Babylon my people because Babylon has is already defeated number three if anyone worships the beast, and it goes to this idea. So the first one is worship him who created, and the third one is almost like a reemphasize of the first one. The first one is saying worship the creator. This one is saying, look, if you worship the beast and in his image and receive his mark on his forehead, on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. In Matthew 25, we learn that this, this uh, burning fire, all-consuming fire, often referred to as hell, it's only, it was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't meant for us God's children. We just want to jump in there with the devil and his angels because we're choosing not to follow the lamb wherever it goes. Do you see that? It wasn't meant for us. It was not meant for us. Babylon has fallen. The victory is already won. In the times of Noah, the flood was coming. Now your job was to build an ark and let people know that the flood was coming. Now that Christ is coming again, your job is to follow the Lamb wherever it goes and let the world know that Christ is coming. I'm not even telling you that your job is to become perfect. I'm telling you to let the Redeemer do what He does best. The one who literally died for you to work in your life, to get rid of all that junk and all the hot mess in your life. Are we going to be perfect before Christ comes? No. But will we be working towards perfection? Absolutely. Are we working it by our own works or are we allowing Him to eradicate those things out of our lives? we have a job to do Christ is coming very soon and if not you then who these are those who follow the lamb wherever he goes it is my prayer that you recognize the times that we're in Christ is really coming very soon you know I, I tell people When you live your life in an earthly way, you prepare for eternity here. 
you know, you plan your retirement. Your kids are born. You start building their college fund and everything else. You, 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 you set up all of that stuff and you work with that. But spiritually, you live as though every moment was your last. You know, when you look at the average lifetime and the amount of hours we get in an entire lifetime, why are we wasting our time in things that are just temporary and useless? When you really sit and ponder the, the hours that you wasted just sitting, warming up a bench versus sharing the gospel message with others, I would I will cringe at that. I've told you before that I know for a fact that people have given their life to Christ because I've worked with them, given the Bible studies and ministered to them. I'm not worried about that, but I am definitely afraid of the people that didn't come to Christ. Not only because I scare them away, but what about also the ones that I neglected? And I'm not doing this to guilt you into anything. I'm doing this to help you realize that Christ really is coming. What will you do with the time that we have left? Are you willing to follow the Lamb? Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. This was a very broad message. Any Bible verse could have been dissected and make a whole series out of it. But Lord, the larger picture is this. You are a Christ who is preparing mansions for us, who is coming back so that where you are, we can also be. You are a Christ that is coming and your reward is with you. But you're also a Christ that you send us. You said, go ye therefore. And even in Matthew 28, when you said that, you said, go out there through every nation, teaching them and baptizing them. In Revelation, we see that again, that the gospel has gone out to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. In Isaiah, we see the question, who will go before us? Father God, the time is at hand. We can't be lackadacious. We can't just sit around and wait. We can't turn off the lights, pull up to the window, and just simply watch someone be hurt, someone be taken an advantage of. We can't just be spectators. It is time for us to step up and represent you and go on your behalf. So I ask, Father God, that you come into us, that you work in our lives, that you come into our hearts, that you work in us and through us for the benefit of all. This is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. Let us go ahead and have the praising come forward. And uh, folks, let us stand up, if you're able to, uh, for our closing song.